Hi, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs, and lots of great Duran Duran memories. From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015, and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021, the Duran Duran Albums podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band. We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record. And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects. So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word, and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. Molly, we are back again for another episode of the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. And you know, it struck me we are we're fairly progressing. We're almost halfway through the band's catalogue. This is we're going to be talking about Liberty, which is the sixth studio album. So we're we're fairly cracking on and, and working our way through this 40 years worth of uh, work from Duran Duran. I can't believe that we're here. It feels like <laughs> Don't take this the wrong way, Paul. It feels like we've been doing these for quite a while now. Um, <laughs> but it's been so amazing to, to be able to revisit albums, learn about new new albums that I had not listened to before. So, yeah, it's been an amazing journey and let's keep it going. And obviously, part of the reason we, we've done this podcast is obviously we are, we're big Duran Duran fans. We want to talk about the albums. Of course, we want to try and spread more joy to the Duran Duran world. <laughs> And talking of more joy, well <laughs> I have to confess, I practiced that like, what do you think of the new song, More Joy? It's the second single from the forthcoming Future Past album. It's the third song that we've, we've heard that's going to be on this album. It's coming out in October the 22nd. What are your thoughts about it? Well, I think Simon is sounding pretty darn good still. You know, I think um, I have... Really, I, I have kind of been about uh, a bit wary about how well Simon's voice has aged as time has gone on. But I think that whether it's being really well produced and auto-tuned, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think he's sounding really, really good. Not so sure about the production of it all with the whole teaming up with Chai and the whole kind of Japanese video game sort of vibe that it seems to have makes it nice and bouncy and that sort of thing and um you know I think you've made some comments about dancing around the house and that sort of thing listening to it so yeah it definitely has that that very much get up and dance kind of feel but uh, I think it's just a little bit too saccharine I have to admit I am I'm borderline obsessed with it I absolutely love this song I I actually think it's amazing I have I think I've literally, it's been about the only song that I've listened to on Spotify since it came out. So I've probably contributed uh, with all my listens about 10 pence to Duran Duran's income through Spotify, which <laughs> of course... No, a thank you note for, for all your contribution, Paul. <laughs> yeah, well, interestingly, Simon Le Bon was quoted last week in an interview of not so much asking people not to listen to Spotify, but saying that for the future of music, there has to be a different way of allowing people paying a monthly fee and getting everything because then... Obviously, how do you finance the artists? How do they produce music? Because unless you're touring, how do you produce the musicians of the future? Because there's not, it's not financially viable. That aside, I, I, I honestly, I think it's, I think it's amazing. I, I prefer it to Invisible, and I really loved Invisible when it came out. I love the collaboration with Chai. I just think there's something really infectious about them on that that song, and also I think it, some of it is that kind of almost computer games type feel to it. But then they're also, I think the bass and Roger's drums especially, there's just moments in it where they just kind of absolutely almost just grab you. And the, the bit near the end where it's just like, a, he really absolutely batters those drums. I think it just really gets you going. And even the guitar, 
bit in it, which is kind of the sense of the Japanese sense of it, the, the way the guitar solo is. I just love everything about it. It has given me more joy than I would ever have imagined. Excellent. I love it. Well, I, I think I'm kind of the opposite to you because I think I prefer Invisible to that one. And I think they are quite quite different songs. So it'll be interesting how they all get knitted together on the album because, you know, we've talked about this so often, how the two different sides of the albums can be quite different. So I wonder if it will be maybe Invisible will be track one on side one and um, More Joy could be the beginning of the track one of side two. Well, I saw somebody posted on social media last week what they'd, they'd heard was the track listing for the album. So Invisible, according to this, is the first song and More Joy is towards the end. It's about the second or third last song. So I think you're right. It might be that you're going to get almost build to it. Occasionally I've listened to or tried to listen to the two of them side by side, but then I just end up going back to, to More Joy. And honestly, I, I just absolutely... I absolutely love that song. And you know that way sometimes you, you listen to a song over and over again, and it reminds me of back in the day getting a, a seven-inch single and then just constantly lifting the needle and putting it back, putting it back <laughs> to the point where your parents are like, oh, God, he's not getting any other records. But um, I... And I haven't, got, I haven't got fed up with it. That's the thing. After a certain point, maybe you start to think, I'll listen to something else. I haven't at all. And also, I do sometimes when I've been driving... Traditionally, I listen to BBC Six Music in the morning, Lauren Laverne. It's a brilliant show of old and new music. I don't think she's played the new song from Duran Duran. It would fit perfectly within the kind of the vibe of, of what she's playing. I think it's, like we've kind of said before, it's very distinctively Duran Duran. I agree with you about Simon's voice. is is absolutely brilliant. But it's so, I think it's so vibrant and, and modern that, you know, people would listen to it, even if they don't know who the band were. I'm sure people will think, wow, what a great song. Yeah, and I think you're right that it hopefully it will prove to be quite popular and it will be appear in the in the top 40 charts because you know the song that they did on the American Morning Show. I can't remember what it's called now, but I, I remember making the comment that it felt like it was a bunch of 60-year-old men kind of going through the motions of what they think a pop or rock song should be these days, whereas more joy it does seem genuine and, you know, quite energetic and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think they, they've hit the mark much better on this one than, than that other song. Yeah, and I think probably before the album comes out in October, I'm guessing they'll probably release something else. And, and again, as another wee teaser, just to, to give people another sense, because I think there's about 12 or 13 tracks on it. So if you're giving people three or four songs, I think it just kind of builds the sense of anticipation or excitement for the new album. Yeah, I think they definitely need to keep the momentum going because I think if they were just to, you know, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit after things went a bit quiet after Invisible, they need to keep building and building because it's not like they're, they aren't super hip, cool and, and, and trendy at the moment. So they do need to just keep plugging away in order to have a really big bang and have that momentum come October time. Absolutely. But uh, as soon as this podcast is finished, I'm going to go back and listen to More Joy again and again and maybe dance about my kitchen again. Can I just say, that's a mental picture I have of you, Paul, with like your Sony Walkman a la the 80s with the orange foam headphones <laughs> popping around in your socks in the kitchen or something like that. That's, <laughs> that's the mental picture I have. That's more or less what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I obviously mentioned at the start of this podcast we're going to be looking at Liberty and we'll go through it obviously we'll split it between the first five or six tracks and then the second side but first of all as we've done in the past we put out a, not, a, not so much an appeal for comments but we just mentioned that we were going to be recording about Liberty so obviously quite a few people get back in touch and probably I would say maybe for the first time it's probably an album that a lot of interesting comments some comments that's kind of split, divided opinion. Some people really love it. Some people quite like it. Some people are not that impressed. The first comment we got here was from Ed Wood, who says it's, he says it's one of my favourite albums. It's a summer album, energetic and groovy, but it was doomed. The press had been waiting for this. They ruined it and then quotes the fans of Pretty Boys, grew older and abandoned the band. Ed says, Serious should have been the first single then My Antarctica, and the album should have included some of the demo tracks, such as Worth Waiting For, In Between Women, or Didn't Anybody Tell You. 
with proper polishing to make the album more varied and more complicated? Well, you know, um, Ed mentions the bootleg, Didn't Anybody Tell You? And I listened to that one. And yeah, I think that they definitely missed a trick on, on that one. I, th- I think um, they should have taken that, that bootleg and, and tried to produce that one and get that released rather than, than Liberty. But that's my own opinion. The next one um, is from Graham. And he was probably one of the more not such a fan of, of the album. He said, I'm down at 11 in my all-time Duran Duran album list. Some really good tracks, but there's a bit of filler in there too. Top three tracks, Serious, Liberty, and Downtown. Interesting that somebody has chosen Downtown. You know, you were talking about the, the bootleg album, because one of the things that struck me, and I think there's other albums where they've had a whole lot of extra songs that some, sometimes people listen to them and think, why didn't that make it into the album? So I'm guessing every time they go into a studio, they must have a whole big batch and, and they whittle it down to the 10 or 12. But sometimes that, I'm guessing that must be quite a difficult thing to do. And some of them, there may be ones that maybe one member of the band really liked, but they've had to sacrifice for the, you know, the maybe outvoted, for example, in some of the songs. And that kind of has been the sort of impression that I've had about Duran Duran, at least in the past albums, that it was quite a collaborative effort that they would kind of come together and really bring in their own their own elements, you know, their own instruments and that sort of stuff, and then fight and wrangle over what was going to make it onto the album. But it seems like just the stuff that I have read about this one, it almost felt like they had kind of given up. It felt like it was a real rush job from the record company just to get something out there. And it seemed like for the majority of the, of the band members, they were just like, yeah, whatever, just throw whatever out there. So yeah, an interesting album. The next comment we have is from a journalist and writer based in Argentina called Fabiana Torres. We're going to hear more from her later in the podcast because we did an interview with her. We're going to play a clip of it later and also we'll then put out the full interview as a bonus episode and it's an interview you don't want to miss. It's absolutely amazing. Um, but Fabiana, in relation to Liberty, says, love it, it was huge in Argentina and Violence of Summer was number one for three months straight. It was a big hit in Argentina. And I think she says, even in the interview, when, whenever it still comes on the radio now, she says, everybody sings it because it was just like it was an, it was anthemic at that time. Yeah, I won't give away any any spoilers from the interview. And thank you very much, Fabiana, for that one. It was, it was fabulous. But um, I find it very strange the things that different countries pick up and, and latch on to because, um, you know, obviously we'll be talking about each of the tracks as we go on with the podcast, but um, violence is summer. You can't see me, but I'm shrug- shrugging. <laughs> Anyways, um, next one to, to come up was from Ben Rawson Jones, who had said, I think a lot of the ill feeling towards Liberty is down to its awful commercial performance and marketing. Bad sales damaged the band. I find it a very interesting listen full of immersive soundscapes gritty hooks and unfulfilled potential let down by the production at times. Yeah, I mean, I think that goes back to just what you were saying. That Because interestingly, I read a couple of interviews in the band retrospectively looking at it at Liberty, and they, they seemed to think that I think when they did the demo sessions and they were getting the songs together, they kind of felt that they, they did the genesis of a really good album, but it didn't, for whatever reason, it, it fell apart when, it, when they got in the studio and whether that was bad production or whether, to your point, that it ended up they just were rushing and they just wanted to get anything out. And I think that was their sense of why it maybe didn't click with fans the way the previous albums did. Yeah, and I, and I don't know. I mean, I don't have any any real clear recollection of the 90s, but had the record industry just kind of lost its way maybe? It just seemed it was it was down to the marketeers of the record companies that would decide which singles were, were released and that sort of thing. It doesn't feel like... Duran Duran themselves really had much input at all as to what was going on with this album. So I think, you know, in the past, we've, we've spoken a lot about how the, the band were really focused on what the single should be and how it, it should get out and uh, be promoted in the wider world. And maybe they just, that there wasn't that, that gel between the record company and the band by this point in time. The next comment we've got here, and again, uh, this is from... Melanie V and she would disagree with you because she says that she thinks violence of summer is good although she says I think Sirius or My Antarctica would have been better choices for the first single 
and that would have put Duran Duran in the adult pop genre much earlier than Ordinary World did in 1993. And she believes that Liberty also has some underrated tunes like First Impression and Venice Drowning. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, you, you've been talking about how the uh, more joy has made you get up and dance and bop around your, your kitchen and that sort of thing. First Impression has been going round and round and round in my head today. It's been a real earbug for me today. So, yeah, I think that's a good tune. So I agree with Melanie on that one. So we've got one of our regular contributors, Madaza, um, who has said, it's one of my favorite albums. Might actually be my favorite 90s Duran album. Both my favorite and least favorite Duran Duran songs are on here. So yeah, like everyone is saying, it's a tad uneven. I love that because, you know, it's like you were saying that it's quite all right as a Duran Duran fan for, you know, you to like really, really like some, some bits of an album and think other bits of it are absolute rubbish. You know, I think that's, we call it like it is. Also, I, if uh, Madaza is listening to this, if you can get in touch with us via Twitter and tell us what your favourite and least favourite songs are that are on Liberty because he didn't, didn't say it because I'm quite intrigued to see what, what those songs are. Another regular contributor listener and one of the previous guests in the podcast, Elisa Lorello, uh, says of Liberty, I think it's gotten better with age. I probably listen to it more now than I did then, yet it's probably ranked in the middle of the catalogue for me in terms of favourites. Definitely so. And then we have uh, the next one coming up from Pablo Ciejas. Very hit and miss, but an okay album. That's such great praise. It's okay. <laughs> Some great tracks on there, like like Liberty, Sirius, and My Antarctica. My least fave track on the album is All Along the Water. Always skip that one. Can't bear it. I'm so disappointed because actually All Along the Water is, is one of my favorite songs on the album. But I think we're, we're seeing a, a trend here that um, Sirius and My Antarctica are ranking pretty highly for, for most of the fans. Yeah, and, and already, because we haven't really talked about, we are going to be talking about through the, the tracks from the comments in terms of what other people are saying, I'm looking forward to our chat because I think there might be some uh, contrasting opinions of some of the, some of the songs, so I'm, I'm looking forward Excellent. to that. Sharon Lee had got in touch to say, I love it, uh, of Liberty. Some, some fab tracks on there and a very underrated album. I haven't played it for ages until recently and forgotten just how good it is. And again, you know, that's the whole process that I seem to be following, you know, with doing this podcast. I really didn't know anything about this album until, you know, it came time to research it. It was definitely underrated, but it does stand up pretty well to multiple listenings in this day and age, I think. And next one comes up from Leonardo Big Leo. He's saying, I've always loved it, still listening to it. I know most Duranis don't like it, and I admit some sounds and songs are pretty weak but I've never skipped a song in 21 years. That's pretty damn good going. Loved what Warren and Campbell brought to the DD sound back then. I wish there can be a remastered set someday. Interesting. Interesting indeed. And finally, uh, again, another big uh, supporter of our podcast who also does his own wonderful podcast, the D-Side, David O. People know him on Twitter, the guy fans of Duran. And David says it is the, in quotes, most improved album for me. I wrote all but a couple of tracks off for decades, but it's not as bad as I originally thought. has some very high highs, but also still has some of the lowest lows for me. So again, that maybe echoes what some other people were saying about it as well. Those are all the comments that we've got from Twitter. So thank you everybody um, for, for contributing those. Uh, it's always so good to hear everybody's opinions about this. And it, it makes me think, a little bit harder about, you know, what I think about these um, songs. And um, it's always an eye opener to, to get people's impressions about things like that. So please do keep them coming. Yeah. And uh, you can get in touch with us. Our email is duranduran at paulcuddehy.com or you can get in touch with us via Twitter, which is at albums duran. And you and I, Molly, are going to be chatting through the Liberty album shortly. But uh, this is the point where my daughter takes over and continues with the story of Duran Duran. And we're now on to part eight. So take it away, Rebecca. (music) 
The Story of Duran Duran, Part 8 Throughout 1989, Duran Duran continued to tour the Big Thing album whilst also beginning to work on their next studio album. That would become Liberty, which was released in 1990. Before then, 10 years of the band was documented by both an album and video entitled Decade. Warren Cucurullo was by this time a permanent member of Duran Duran, and both he and drummer Sterling Campbell were given songwriting credits on the Liberty album, the first album to feature songwriting credits outside the lineup from the first three albums. The album came out in August 1990, reaching number 8 in the charts, and there were two singles released Violence of Summer, Love's Taking Over, which reached number 20 in the UK charts, and Serious which only got to number 48. To the disappointment of their fans, the band chose not to tour the Liberty album. In 1991, Simon, Nick, Warren and John start working on the next Duran Duran studio album. Now, Molly, without further ado, we should turn to Liberty. And what I was going to do is we'll, we're going to chat through, I think, the first five tracks up to All Along the Water, and then we'll take a break when we'll, we'll be able to hear from Fabiana Torres. But first things first, we start with the first track. Of course, people might have already had an indication of where you stand on Violence of Summer, open brackets, Love's Taking Over, close brackets. Yeah. I just think this was just such a poo start to the album. (laughs) That's a professional opinion there, by the way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just thought it was the the keyboards at the beginning of it, the way that um, it sounded like a pastiche of a 50s surfer movie soundtrack to me. And it it just had such a try-too-hard... Americana vibe to it all. And and yeah, it just did absolutely nothing for me. Right. Okay. Don't sit in the fence on that one. Funnily uh, enough, I actually found, because I, I find the, the keyboards at the start and they're so instantly recognizable. And I think I really do like the start of that because, you know, right away, you know the song. And I think because my overall impression of the album, for me, it, the word that I kept thinking of was it undulates for me. You know, like, like some of the people were saying, there's some so there's some highs and there's some real lows. So it's quite, you're never quite sure, you know, when you listen to it. And I kind of forgot until I started listening to it again, that there were some songs which I really, really like. And there's some songs which I just think, we were saying earlier on, they should have stayed on the demo floor. And I actually think, for me, it starts off at the high point and one of the, the peaks as opposed to one of the troughs with Violence of Summer. I like it. It's quite a nice sort of high tempo start to the album and and I genuinely I think the, the bit at the start because I did I did write I like the start of the song with those keyboards so I guess that that firmly places us where, where we sit with uh surfer music from the 50s sounds like maybe I, that would be your kind of thing I didn't get that that vibe because again like kind of like what we were saying in previous albums so I think it came out in August 1990 so I think I was at that time I had I just started working in journalism about a couple of months before that I was engaged at that time, so that would have been the count that we get married the following year. And I remember getting the album, and but you know, I didn't have that love for it that maybe I did with other albums. So it was kind of it was almost a habit of just of getting it. But I thought it started with promise for me with Violence of Summer. And then when we go into Liberty, which is the title track, for me it had a quite a it felt as if it wouldn't have looked out of it wouldn't have sounded out of place on Notorious. I felt that I had that kind of vibe to it. Thought Simon's vocals were really good and quite a dancey, funky track. But when I was listening to it again, I thought, do you know, if you just fitted that somewhere within Notorious, I think it would have sat quite comfortably in that. Yeah, I mean, I I quite liked uh, Liberty as well. And I thought it was a very, a song of the moment um, because, you know, the way that I tend to approach these albums is I'll give a first listen and I always like just put down what my first impressions are, you know, without too much thought or anything like that. And the first thing that I put down for Liberty was sounds like the band The Beloved. I don't know if, if everybody um, remembers that band, but just the the tone of Simon's voice in it, it was reminiscent of, of The Beloved. And I think they were probably out in the late 80s, early 90s as well, perhaps. So that was kind of my first thoughts. 
but then I also wondered, there's a female voice on the song and I couldn't remember, would this be one of the first times maybe they do bring in additional vocalists that aren't just the, the band themselves? And I just didn't, because it seems like future albums, there seems to be a number of tracks on, on each of those where they do have guest artists appearing with them. And I just wondered if maybe this was the start of it. I did never find anything out about that one, but that was kind of my impression about the song. Yeah, because I quite like the fact that they do collaborations. Obviously, we were talking about more joy earlier on with Chai. For me, it keeps that freshness, that if it's the same four guys or the same five guys or, or whatever, at that time it would have been the same three guys. Sometimes you just need some another a fresh perspective in the studio. So whether it is collaborations or even like bringing in other musicians to do things with them, I maybe... It gets them to up their game, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was this album that um, Warren Cuccarello and Sterling Campbell became permanent fixtures in the band. And I think maybe they felt a little bit more comfortable that they could bring their take on things. So, so yeah, it's, it's again bringing a little bit of more fresh blood into the, the band. Track three was Hothead. And my first observation on it was... White men rapping, it's not a good thing unless you're Vanilla Ice, Ice Baby. <laughs> we, we, we were on the same wavelength on that one because my first line on this one, talking bit is a bit cringe. Yeah, I, I just, you know, there are some white guys who can rap and, you know, more power to them and that sort of thing. Simon Lebon, don't think he should be trying that one. Here's your, your, the singing voice that you were given, pal, and, you know, capitalize on that one don't try to be something that you're not yeah this was the point where you know like i was saying how there's peaks and troughs in the album this was the first one that was a real you know it was a real dip for me it was one of those ones where i think if i wasn't listening to it again a few times for this podcast i would have skipped it and i was tempted on many occasions to do so it was just it's not a song that i just didn't think it was it just didn't appeal to me at all and you know i, I thought the first couple of songs were, were really good and then it kind of was a real dip with Hothead and uh, the, the rapping just, it doesn't, uh, just not good. I found an article that was um, done with the producer of this album, Chris Kimsey, and he's pretty darn brutal. You know, has a, he has a re-listen of the album and uh, he's, um, he doesn't pull any punches, I think, when it came to how he responded to the various uh, songs on the album and, and what he said about Hothead was yeah this is an attempt at being cool oh dear that's more of a jam that's not a song that sounds like it's left over from something Nile Rogers would have done and yeah I think we agreed on it it, it just Simon don't rap I also think as well because you have to remember as well this came after Big Thing which which I think maybe was underappreciated at the time which is I think is an absolutely brilliant album and then it's, it's sandwiched in between that and then the wedding album, which again marked their resurgence with some brilliant songs. And I think I wonder whether, to what you were saying earlier on, of them, I don't know if they've lost their way. Music was changing. You know, the charts were probably quite saccharine, but then you also had things like the Stone Roses and the Happy Mondays and that whole world that they just weren't part of. And they were kind of, they weren't sure what their identity was. And maybe that's why that this album seems to go from pillar to post throughout it. Yeah, I think Simon had, had made a comment. Um, you kind of referenced it earlier on in the in the podcast about how um, that you know they they felt like they had some really good songs in the rehearsals and, and for the the, the demos, um, but when it came time to to do the the album, it just didn't seem to quite hit the mark. And and they, I think what I had seen was Simon had said they were feeling quite self conscious and really maybe they were just second guessing themselves and maybe that's the reason why, because they didn't have that confidence of youth like they had in their first few albums that um, too much overthinking was done. Now it's time to get serious and... It'd be a DJ, Paul, because, you know, your your segues into these is just seamless. I put, I put a lot of time and effort into them, I have to say, <laughs> even though it doesn't come across that way. For me, this is one of the best tracks in the album. What's uh, What's your thoughts on it? I absolutely agree. Um, the first thing that I wrote down was more true to Duran Duran's sound. I think, you know, this is, this is um, harking back to the beginnings of Duran Duran. And I think it's a, it's a great song. 
And it's one of those that can, you know, can be stuck in your head, but in a really, really pleasant way. And um, yeah, I just, I think, you know, things didn't progress from rehearsal stage into the album, but I think with Sirius, it kind of give us, gives us a glimmer of what and how good Ordinary World was going to be in the coming years from there. So yeah, I kind of felt like Sirius was just a nice little half step on the way to, to Ordinary World. Because I think as well, what surprised me, some people were alluding to Eleron in terms of the marketing of the album, maybe the choice of the first single, which was Violence of Summer, which got to number 20 in, in the UK. Sirius only got to number 48, which is a better song. And again, I think it was Melanie V had said in her comments earlier on that she thought something like Sirius or even My, Antar- My Antarctica, which we'll talk about later, would have been better. And that would have maybe given them more credibility but the credibility that they got when Ordinary World came out and people thought, wow, that's a great song. Yeah, definitely. And I have an interesting little tidbit of the recording of the Sirius song. In this interview with, with Chris, the producer, he mentioned that there had been a fair amount of tension and kind of an uptight atmosphere in the rehearsal rooms as they were uh, recording this one. And apparently Warren Cucurello at this time got into his bodybuilding, manscaping kind of vibe and he would often um rehearse with a shirt off i think you know got to show off what you what you got and that sort of thing so chris was like this is just cut the 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 tension with a knife here so he he got everybody to uh to take their tops off just to kind of release the tension kind of get everybody in a little bit of a, a chilled vibe and um and that's when sirius was recorded but warren to go one better actually got start naked Report serious. So um that's gonna be my mental picture. <laughs> the, the the other thing that I noticed when I was just reading up on the this song was when it came out as a, a single, one of the, the B sides to it was a song called Yo Bad Azizi. It's just a kind of bizarre, almost like kind of dancey, almost like a kind of slight remix uh, of elements of is there something I should know and it Apparently the basis of it is that somebody had actually wrote to the band and said, they were asking about the lyrics and said, what does yo bad Azizi mean? And they and it actually it was somebody had listened to, is there something I should know? And the line you're about Azizi as a nuclear war, the way Simon sings that, they thought it was yo bad Azizi. So they got a song out of that, which is slightly, slightly surreal. We're on to the fifth track, which will be the, the last track we'll do in this segment before we talk about the other ones. All Along the Water. And again, I think that was a song that you you had mentioned that you like. Yeah, so my first listen was, oh yeah, this is quite funky. And I didn't really think anything else about it. But then over the course of a few days, I actually listened to this album quite a bit, you know, over and over again. And it just grew on me and grew on me. And I am very much a water baby. I love I swim loads. I, you know, I paddleboard. I do all this kind of stuff. And it just, I was actually driving home from, uh, from swimming yesterday and that track came on and I'm like, yeah, this is what's been going on in my head all day. And, and I do some fairly big distances when I'm swimming and I have to listen to music just to kind of get me through the, the trauma of it all. And this was a song that was just really going round and round in my head. And so, so now it's one of those songs that's it brings a memory for me, and it's a, and it's a good memory. So yeah, that's the reason why I like it, and I'm going to stick to my reasoning. Well, this is this is one of the ones where again, it takes a dip from the high of series to the low of of this one. My first reaction, my first comment was, it's an instant, another instantly forgettable song, to the point where I have kind of forgotten about it. So it's hard to kind of say. Again, it's one of those songs. I think now. I would skip it if I was listening to Liberty. Or it's one of the ones I would identify of, like they could have replaced it. It just, it didn't do it for me. Now, whether that's because I'm not really much of a swimmer, that's now given me something else to think about. I don't know. Well, you know, I think what it really taught me was that I shouldn't just dismiss things just from a first listen. You know, I I think, and what I would say about this, this album in the round is the fact that it started off, I wasn't particularly gung-ho about anything of the album and I was really decidedly meh about it all but after a number of listens and especially this song and and 
a couple of others on, on the second side, they have been, and I know I like to say it, they have been growers, not showers. So <laughs> that's, that's the category that I'll put all along the water in. Fair enough. I uh, just uh, sunk without a trace for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm here all week. Well, we are going to, we're going to take a break from talking through the Liberty album. And what we're going to do now is we're going to give you a wee uh, extract from an interview that we did with Fabiana Torres, who is a journalist and writer based in Buenos Aires, Argentina. She's also a massive Duran Duran fan. This is just a wee taster, but I, I have to tell you, you have to listen to this interview. It is wonderful on so many levels of somebody who loves the band, what her love of the band has brought her in terms of her life and our choice of our top three and the reasons why is just sensational. It was brilliant talking to her. And this is just a wee snippet of a chat with Fabiana Torres. Fabiana Torres, a journalist, writer, English translator based in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Welcome to the Duran Duran podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Now, the windows of Zoom have joined you in Buenos Aires with me in Glasgow. But strange thing, when you and I were corresponding before this podcast, you sent me a photograph of you and Simon Le Bon in the centre of Glasgow. I recognised <laughs> it instantly and I couldn't believe you've been to see Duran Duran in Glasgow. I was so impressed. How did, how did that happen? Well, it actually happened not just once, it happened more than once. We, my, we, when I say we, is my husband and I, we met during the reunion tour uh, when the band came to Argentina. It's the only country in all of South America that the, the original lineup played in. And they were here for a festival. Of course, I went to the airport. I hadn't met them before, but I went to the airport. We heard that the band wanted fans at the airport. And there was TV coverage, press everywhere. And we were quite a few people waiting for, for them because people love Duran Duran in Argentina. You wouldn't believe what a show in Argentina is. I think Duran told you something about nobody sits down at a show in, in Argentina. I told him that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we were there and... I met him. I, I actually, we were on TV together, my husband and I, with Simon Le Bon in between us, and we we didn't even know. We realized about that afterwards that we were. I mean, it, it's my husband. His name is Gerardo, which is Gerard, Simon, and me, and that was like whoa. <laughs> uh, and then we saw each other at the concert the next day. And we also met, uh, I went to the press conference and somehow he sneaked into the press conference too. And I had pictures of him from the airport and, you know, we exchanged emails. And after like four to five months, we started dating. And that was back in 2006. And we got married in 2017. And now we have a son who's just turned three years old. So Duran Duran brought you together. That is, that's wonderful. Yeah. So how, how did it come about that you and your husband ended up coming to Glasgow to see Duran Duran? Well, we, as we are, both of us are fans, we have this uh, very rare situation where we don't have to argue about what would we do for a vacation or for fun. So we just said during that decade before we got married and had a kid, okay, from now on, everything we can save, we save. And when a tour comes, there it goes. So we, we, we love doing the UK tour because it's such a small country. I mean, the countries that are in the UK are so small compared to Argentina, which is such a big country. So uh, we rented a car and we went city by city following the entire UK tour. And we were told on that particular uh, show in 2011, in December, that we were lucky because usually there's a lot of snow and you can drive. And we were, uh, we were able to drive. And we also made friends along the way from all over Europe. Who we were like carpooling with everyone. It was so much fun. The band are absolutely lovely every time we meet. And 
it's it's a joy seeing them and i i think i told you that i usually go with, we usually go with a flag and it, uh, from argentina and it usually has the design of the album that it's being you know on tour and simon saw the flag and of course he saw us and on that show on in 2011 and he yelled Uh, during all you need is now Argentina in the house <laughs> everybody was clapping I don't know if people got what he said but he was like oh my god thank you <laughs> and I got to thank him the next day that's when we took the picture because what I love is uh, well two things one is the fact that you and I would have been at that same concert because every time obviously Duran Duran come to Glasgow I go and see them so you and I would have been at the, the same concert but I love I love the fact that the music can join us at other sides of the world and, and we've got this bond that unites us. I also, it's also made me realise I'm going to have to come and see Duran Duran in Buenos Aires at some point. You definitely should. I know I've, I've said this a couple of times, Molly, and you, you, know, you and I have obviously listened to the full interview and we'll put it out as a bonus episode, but I think people will absolutely love it when they hear the full chat with Fabiana. I absolutely agree. I think I've almost got like a bit of a girl crush on Fabiana. I think that the life that she has got for herself and, and her whole story and, and meeting Duran Duran is just so cool. I think she's just such a cool, cool person. You know, you and I have spoken about this loads of times. It's kind of how we've connected and how we're doing this. It's just this, you know, your choice to you love that, that music, that band, and that's how you end up getting connected with people all over the world. And it's just that one thing that you have in common, but it's It's, it's a positive thing it's a good thing to have totally you know I have never been much of a Twitter user but by doing this podcast with you it reconnects me with Scotland you know we've got Scott over on the east coast we've got uh, the guys in Las Vegas you know we've got Fabiana in Argentina it's just a worldwide great group of people and that's what I was saying to you earlier it's just astounding how a band Who, who puts out music can have that sort of impact on so many different people across the world. It's just get a little bit hippy dippy here, but you know, that that's mega that it can bring people together like that. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what other countries we can, we can travel in the course of uh, this podcast. If we get back to Liberty now, we had, we'd finished with all along the water. That was the fifth track, the sixth track. So we go back to my Antarctica And quite a few people in the comments had mentioned that song. Where do you stand on My Antarctica? It's one that I, I really do quite like. You know, it's not one that I absolutely love and adore, but um, I definitely have more fond feelings and just a bit mad about it all. And I think it's got really a typical Duran Duran sound to it. You know, it's, it's got kind of the typical Simon rather abstract lyrics, that sort of thing. And I, and I think it's... Um, Definitely um, one of their better songs on the album. And, uh, you know, I think most people have, as you said, they, they agree that it probably should have been a, a single and it probably would have been a little bit more successful and, and, and propelled the, the album as a whole a bit further forward than it did ever actually go. For me, it's, it's my favourite track on the album. I think it's the, the best track. I love the start of it. I think it kind of, the atmosphere of it builds. I think it's so... You know, it's so Nick Rhodes influenced. It's really his, you just feel his, he's taking control of that song. I think Simon's voice is excellent in it. And I agree with everything it said about maybe it wouldn't have been the first single, but certainly, again, that would have showcased them as songwriters. And it's a highlight for me. Because what I've been trying to do just myself as we've been through these albums is just try and pick what my favourite track on every album was because at the end of it I'm going to just even just for my own benefit just put a playlist of my 15 favourite tracks from each of the one track from each of the album My Antarctica would get my vote for the Liberty album easily You mentioned um, you know that you, you really liked Nick's keyboards on this one and in the article with the producer he had actually said that you know through the whole need to get an album released Nick didn't have the usual ability to go away and experiment and play around with his sounds, which I think he's been able to do in the past. But, you know, he did at some point during the, the, the making of the album, he was able to go away to another studio and, and work on a few uh, bits and pieces. 
And I, I just wonder if maybe uh, my Antarctica was one of those because it does feel like a complete song. So I also think as well, you know, that I think the atmosphere of it, it's quite atmospheric. And I think to call a song My Antarctica and then for people might have that idea of that kind of white sparseness. There's just a feeling of that. I think it's a really good title because I think it captures, particularly at the start, I think it just captures the, the, the feeling and the imagery of that. I think it's really clever. I think because the album kind of really ebbs and flows for me, that's why that one really stands out. Yeah, definitely. The, we're moving on to the next one. And what, are you, what, what were your first impressions of First Impression? <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't like it to start off with. I thought that Simon's voice is, is really, it starts off pretty crap on the song. And it actually made me hark back to Wild Boys when he does that really strained, shouty sort of sound, screeching, you might want to call it. So that was kind of my first impressions. I was a bit like, meh, no, don't like this one. But again, um, I've listened to it a few more times and I really like the drums on this one. And as per usual, the way that I like to kind of think, oh, well, this song reminds me of that song and, and kind of link everything all together. I thought that the, the drums sounded like the, the soundtrack from Some Kind of Wonderful, which is one of the, I think, John Hughes movie. And just that, that opening drums just sounded just, it could have been on that, that, that movie soundtrack. Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm going to go back and listen to the song because I love that film. And I think it's maybe that's one of the underrated John Hughes 80s films. And that, and that bit where she's the drummer in it, I think that's great. Because the song itself, I thought, was decidedly average. I think I quite like the chorus, to be fair. But it was different things going on in it. I lost interest during the guitar solo. Went on almost long enough that I could go away and make a cup of tea and come back before it finished. There was wee elements where it kind of hinted. There's a couple of songs in the next one as well where there was wee elements, which was quite strange of, I almost felt that it was a Power Station influence, even though obviously it was only John that, from Power Station that was in the band at that time. There was also parts of it where it, it kind of reminded me, again, it was like 80s film soundtracks, but it was more, there was a, and I don't know if it was because I just had watched Beverly Hills Cop for the first time in a lot of years, but there was a bit of the kind of Axl Rose bits of it as well it was kind of it was a wee bit all over the place I felt but I'm going to go back because I, I do like some kind of wonderful as a film so I'll go back and see if I can reconnect with that song through that yeah see if, if you get the same vibe as I got from it yeah definitely and um I think you know how we've talked in the past about how Duran Duran albums will have like one particular vibe on side one and a different one on side two I think maybe Warren's rockier influences have come to the fore a little bit he got a little bit more confident on this second side because things are a little bit heavier on the guitars like you said and you know again because it's the drum sound that that's um standing out on this one that maybe sterling and warren finally thought yes we're proper duran durannies now can stamp our take on them because i felt the next song read my lips again the chorus was okay but i this felt again ironically enough quite power station and, and i kind of had the same feeling you know, I think side one kind of ebbed and flowed. I think from my Antarctica, there was a bit of a nosedive, I think, in side two for me. And it was just, it was an okay song, Read My Lips, but again, quite forgettable, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. Because I've got, um, sounds like a, a mashup between Some Like It Hot and Herbie Hancock. <laughs> but yeah, that was about as far as, as I got with my analysis. It just didn't really, it was actually one that, on my repeated listens, I fast-forwarded over that one. The big question, of course, in, in relation to this side is, can you deal with it? <laughs> no, not very well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, again, was this Simon getting bored? Was he, was he, like, tired of hearing his own voice? I don't know, because it didn't sound like him, and he did more of his shouty crap. It felt very, very manufactured for me. It was almost like, you know, they said, right, well, What's the current vibe as a kind of like, let's get a kind of nightclub dance song, a song that might be played in nightclubs that people, you know, people might, that are going to clubs at that point might like. And it just felt, it didn't feel, you, you mentioned it one of the songs earlier on, I'm not sure if it was, maybe was it serious that you kind of felt that hinted to, that it was proper genuine Duran Duran. I think this was the complete antithesis of it. I think it just felt as if they were, I don't know if they were aiming for a market or a certain type of vibe with it. And it was a real miss as a result of that. So uh, I couldn't deal with it at all. Yeah, I, I think 
this is, is really, you can see blatantly that they were rushed. The, the record company just wanted to get something out. And I think this is just them overthinking things and doubting themselves and just going, okay, we're just going to stick it out there. And I think this is just, this probably defines why Liberty didn't really do much. In terms of Venice drowning, was it a sink or swim for you? A total these are, sink. These are, sorry, can I just apologise? These are terrible links that I'm doing here. <laughs> really, Paul, the next task for you, your homework for the next <laughs> podcast, please work better <laughs> on your, your segues. I'm joking because I don't even have those, so you're doing well better than I am anyways. But um, no, this one uh, was a definite sink for me. I haven't even got any notes apart from filler on it. I just, this could be one of those songs that um, it could disappear forever and I wouldn't miss it. I think there was a couple of comments that people thought it was okay when we read out the comments earlier on. But again, like you, I, I just thought it was it was part of a, a weak second side. I felt that that was about the fourth song in a row, which I, it was just, again, I think if you'd heard, those are the sort of songs I think if you'd heard, for example, a bootleg of the demos, you would have said, ah, that's why it didn't make it onto the album. Yeah, and I think it was for the, for this song that it was on the, the bootleg, but it had entirely different lyrics. I think it was this one. I could be wrong. But yeah, you know, I think it just proves the point that, you know, they maybe they shouldn't have messed around with what was on the bootleg and just worked a little bit harder on, on what was there rather than recreate it. But kind of to what your point of maybe they were under pressure to rush something out. And I think whether or not they, they didn't give enough time between Big Thing and this to kind of regroup and kind of say, right, what is it we want to do? Because they kind of, they then went on and did that with the wedding album because then there was, there was a gap of three years. So I think maybe just the fact that probably at the time they would have thought Big Thing was, this is a really good album and there was maybe frustration that it didn't do as well as it should have done for whatever reason. And so therefore there was pressure, as you say, the pressure on them. You mentioned it earlier on, they were starting to doubt themselves maybe and they didn't have that sure-footedness that they had with other albums. Because it definitely feels as if they're kind of almost scrambling about in the dark trying to find out what is it, how do we really want to sound now? Yeah, and I think, you know, we can't really overlook the fact that this was kind of right in the middle of John Taylor's drug abuse, I think. I think he, he's been quite open about how he commented that he doesn't even really particularly remember the recording of this album. He was um, off smoking hash oil. How does one smoke hash oil? But anyways, you know, I think that obviously John has always been quite a driving force behind Duran Duran. And if, and if he was off in drug land, then yeah, it's kind of telling. Yeah. But maybe, maybe retrospectively, that's a blessing that he can't remember recording it because it's quite, <laughs> quite forgettable. Or maybe it's quite convenient. I don't know. But um... <laughs> <laughs> We have finally reached the end of our journey and got to downtown. And for me, I actually think that the album at least it finishes off okay. I quite like the start of the song. It's more listenable than the previous ones, but I wasn't sure whether the fact that the, the previous four songs had been real disappointments that actually I maybe liked Downtown better than, than what it really is because it was a slight step up from the, the previous song. So I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. I thought it was okay. It was a pleasing enough way to end the album for me. Rising above the mediocrity or something like that, huh? <laughs> Just about... <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I kind of, I, I thought of you as I was listening to this because I know how you, you like albums to end on a really strong note. And um, this one has just fizzled out. It's like a balloon, you know, that, that, that started off pretty well and then it just kind of deflated itself and ran out of, into just a <laughs> at the end. That's about all I can give on downtown. I don't even have a note for it. <laughs> That's a, that's a great. How would you how would you describe the the, the album Libertine with with one sound effect? <laughs> but you know, saying that though, you know the the songs that I liked on it, I do quite like, and I could actually see them, you know, entering into my normal rotation of music. So you know, it's it's that's what I've really struggled with with this album is that it had some absolute clangers, and I can see why it never registered in any interest in my. 90 self 
but you know there are some some good songs on there so it has been quite a an interesting journey to get through this album and I, I have you know so looked forward to to having to doing the podcast tonight because I just can't really make head nor tails of it I just yeah. so can't decide which way to go with it yeah definitely it reintroduced me to my Antarctica for example which was a song I'd maybe kind of forgotten about which is great and I think what you as I say, but when I wrote it, the first thing I kept thinking it kind of undulates between some great songs. And then f- for me, just kind of the second side, it sort of nosedived and there was some quite poor songs on it. Obviously, people had said that there was different reasons why it maybe didn't do as well. Some of that was poor choice of single, poor marketing. I think overall, it just the songs weren't strong enough to stand as a, as a body of work in an album. And I think they probably, retrospectively, the band know that as well. Yeah, I think so. And just reading through that article with the producer, he had had quite a bit of experience, I think, with some big names like the Rolling Stones. But I think that he maybe was a touch too arrogant and there was just too much of a a time pressure on the band and too much apathy from the band as well, that it was just all those elements that came together just to make it a very, what kind of of just a a middle-of-the-road forgettable overall kind of album and, and maybe you know that the fact that they did take a few years before they released the next album that they realized that they needed to pull their boots up if they were going to be a band to last the ages so maybe it was some good points some not so good points didn't bring us more joy unlike the new song although i'm just talking for myself here i realize <laughs> yeah i'm not even going to try to do any sort of play on words or anything like that. <laughs> crap at it but um yeah I, I think it's it's been a great album to listen to because it was one that I didn't really know for Duran Duran but um I'm quite happy to kind of resign it down in the lower levels of my top Duran Duran albums and also think as well you know and we've mentioned it before that it, you know once we come to the end of, of the 15 albums after Future Passes Out we're going to get people to try and pick the top five albums from the 15 and we'll chat to them it would be impossible, obviously, if every album was of the same standard. That sometimes you can appreciate either the albums that came before or the albums came after, just because maybe one didn't quite hit the heights that you're used to. I think that's that's over forty years. That's inevitably going to happen. Absolutely, statistically speaking, you can't produce gold over over a forty year lifespan. I mean, look yeah. at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I wouldn't ever like to think that Duran Duran is put on a pedestal and we think that the sun shines out of their backsides and we recognize when a clanger gets dropped and, and yeah I think that's this one but we, we all make the mistakes and it you know it, it feels like that Duran Duran may have lost some of their audience at this point you know I think somebody had commented that the the music press were kind of Debbie Downers on Duran Duran at this point in time and and Fair enough. They might have lost some of the audience, but they're great musicians. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been. They wouldn't be around still, and um, they overcame it. Exactly. Well, that is the sixth studio album done and dusted. Uh, we'll be on to. We've got a couple of uh, ideas for our next episode, which we'll tell you about at the end of this episode. But now, as always, we have uh, one of our listeners who has provided his top three, and this time it's from. Anthony Young, who's from Manchester, and he has chosen his top three Duran Duran songs. And obviously, get, get a big cheer from you, Molly, because that's where you're based in Manchester. Um, so thanks to Anthony for sending in his top three. And here are his song choices. Hi, my name's Anthony. I'm 50 years old. I'm from Manchester, England. I first got into Duran Duran back in high school, uh, the first year when you're sort of just discovering music and bands for yourself. I distinctly remember walking into the schoolyard and seeing a group of cooler-looking lads in the corner of the yard, and one lad had the uh, Duran Duran first album tucked under his arm. And I distinctly remember seeing the white sleeve and the red lettering and thinking to myself, maybe that's a band I should look out for. And then a few months later, I was in the city centre, Manchester, 
with a, a schoolmate buying my first um, vinyl LP record with my pocket money, and that would be Duran Duran's Rio. So my first choice um, would go back to the first album, and that would be Careless Memories. I really like the urgency of the sound, uh, the rocky sound, the great guitars and bass and drums, the sound of a band trying to find out what their sound is, and I think they really captured that on this song and on that album. So my first choice would be Careless Memories. My second choice would be, maybe a little bit obvious, but it would be the single, Is There Something I Should Know, which really, again, takes me back to school days. And I just still think to this day it's a perfect pop song. I don't think the band get enough credit, really, for the writing skills of... It's not just verse and chorus, there's a a bridge to the chorus, as in the case with this single, which makes it really, to me, a perfect pop song. So that would be my second choice. Is there something I should know? My final choice, a bit difficult, but I've tried to pick something a bit more recent, and I'm torn between two tracks from the All You Need Is Now album. I really like the third track, um, Being Followed, which I think does really hark back to the sound of the first album, sort of really indie sounding in today's music and I like the lyrical content as well so I'm torn between that and also Leave a Light On which is a brilliant ballad from that album which again is a really great song but I think I'd go for track three from All You Need Is Now being followed as my third choice thanks a lot I have to say, Molly, that it's always one of my favourite bits of the podcast. I mean, to be honest, I love the whole thing about what we're doing. But I love just the fact that people are just getting in touch with us and having listened to other people are then choosing their top three. That's what Anthony did, just emailed us and gave us his top three. And it's brilliant, I think, because everybody's got their own story and their own reasons why they love the songs. And I, I, I love listening to them. And it, it's introduced me to so many songs that I hadn't heard either in Songs that I have heard maybe discounted a little bit. You know, I, I have newfound admiration for them. So, so, yeah, it's again, it goes back to, you know, um, this band bringing together a community of people with all the different opinions under the sun. So, yeah, I absolutely am loving everybody's contributions to this sort of stuff because um, it's an education for me. And it's just great to to remind us of, of the songs that are out there. So, so, yeah, please, please, please do keep them coming. Absolutely. And again, we mentioned earlier on, if you want to send us your top three, all we're looking for is really just a wee, if you just want to record we audio file on your phone, who you are, why, you know, how you became a fan of the band, your three song choices and a wee, a wee explanation of why each of the songs means something to you. You can email us at duranduran at paulcuddyhey.com or even if you want to get in touch at albums Duran on Twitter, even if you want to just have a chat about it, because we're just, as, uh, as Molly says, we're always looking for more contributions we're almost at the end of the episode i'd mentioned that so obviously the next studio album is the wedding album but we'd spoke before and we'd put something out on twitter of maybe doing a an episode on non-album tracks and we'd put together a list of maybe 10 and put them out and looking for other suggestions so we what we maybe do is we'll get a final 12 and we'll put it out and, and people can you know give us their thoughts on the songs and again, maybe maybe ones that we've missed, and then we'll just we'll do a, a non-albums podcast because Duran Duran. And again, I think I maybe didn't realise until we started doing this podcast just how many songs are out there that never made it onto albums and some real, really brilliant, brilliant tunes. Yeah, I think you know that they're they have snuck them under the radar a little bit, maybe on some of them on B sides and that sort of stuff. But but yeah, looking forward to to having that chat. It's going to be a good one. And. I'm not sure whether even in the interim period before we do that, that Duran Duran might be bringing out another new song. But uh, for now, uh, we've come to the end of the Liberty podcast. I know where this is going. More joy. I'm going to count now going forward how many times you can fit that that reference in over the next couple of podcasts. I told you I'm obsessed. I, am, I love the song so much. Brilliant. Well, you know, I, I can't fault you on that one. It, it is a good tune. 
Okay, well, thanks as always, people, for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Duran Duran Albums podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us on the Duran Duran Albums podcast, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us, that will help other Duranis to find us. And of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better. You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at albumsduran or email us at durandoran at paulcudahy.com. Join us next time on the podcast. And in the meantime, keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.